know you're moving I'm here and I know you will feel me As the spirit was moving over the water, spirit come move over us. Come rest on us. Come rest on us. Come on, fire and wind, come and do it again. Open up the gates, let heaven on in. Come rest on us. Come rest on us. Fire and wind, come and do it again. Open up the gates, let heaven on in. Come rest on us. Come rest on us. Calm down, spirit, when you do, you make my heart pound. When you feel the room, you're here and I know you're moving. I'm here and I know you will feel me. Calm down, spirit, when you do, you make my heart pound. When you feel the a time of communion this morning. If you're new around here, we have uh, stations around the room here. Uh, as soon as I pray, you guys are, are free and welcome to come and partake in communion and give your offerings if you choose to do that that way this morning in those black boxes. Hey, uh, every Sunday morning, I get uh, this little notification, this little ding on my phone that is a weekly uh, screen time report. Any of you guys get this? And it's like, um, some weeks I look at that and I feel really good because the screen time is down. Your screen time is down 14% this week. And I'm like, yes, I didn't get as distracted with my phone. Other weeks, it's up. And I'm like, oh, that stinks. And I feel bad about it, right? Our phones and technology and just the things in this world can, can be a distraction a lot of times, can't they? And, and I find that um, with, with our relationship with the Lord, a lot of times um, I think what, what Satan wants to do first with people is to convince them that he doesn't exist 
that God doesn't exist. But I think that maybe secondary, one of the things that he uses is just distraction to get us to focus on things that are lesser, that aren't important at all in the grand scheme of things. And when we focus on those things, we're not focused at all on Christ. We're not focused at all on, on God and what he would would have us to do and to be. And so I love communion because every Sunday morning we practice this every every week and it can become this ritualistic mundane thing if we're not careful, right? Because we do it weekly. But I really want to encourage us this morning to take the time and to to really just focus in on and kind of push any kind of distractions that you may have had in your your week. Uh, out of out of your heart and out of your mind this morning. One of the things that Jesus said when he established the Lord's Supper is he said, do this in remembrance of me. And so when we partake of these symbolic emblems, it's this reminder, right? It's this idea that, that God, can we just stop for a second and take a deep breath and, and push the distractions to the side and focus on you. And so we get that this is a gift, that we get to participate in each and every week. And so we're going we're gonna to do that right now. Would you guys pray with me? Lord God in heaven, I thank you for today. Thank you for those who are gathered here this morning to worship you, hear your word proclaimed. God, I thank you for this just in the next few, few moments that we get to pause, that we get to, to just kind of breathe in and breathe out and be reminded of what you've done for us, how vast your love is. When we take this, this bread that represents your body that was, that was broken, that was beaten, we're, we're mindful of what you did for us. When we drink this cup of, this little cup of juice, we're mindful of your blood that was poured out, that was shed. It wasn't spilled, it wasn't an accident, but you did this intentionally on purpose for us. And when we sit in that and think about that, it just blows us away that you would do that for us. And so we remember that this morning. We remember the cross and we celebrate an empty tomb. God, you did that. You did that through your son, Jesus. And it's in him that we give thanks for this. Amen.
pray as the word comes, God, that our hearts will be prepared to receive what you have to offer us today. That, Lord, we'll be closer to you, that we'll leave differently today than we walked into this place. God, it's for you. We give you the glory. Amen. Hi, it's time for your favorite game show, Country Music Star or the Bible. In tonight's show, we'll be looking at some great verses from country music songs or the Bible. You, as our studio audience, will be here to decide between the two. And one lucky audience member will win a free trip to Fort Lauderdale, Florida to stay in the Smithfield Spa. 
Retail value of this gift is $13,642.32. Let's get started now. Our first verse is, kiss me and kiss me again. The answer is the Bible, Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verse 2. The next question is, see the vulture circling dark clouds. The answer is Taylor Swift. I know places. The next verse is, it is obvious how much he loves me. The answer is the Bible, Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verse 4. The next verse is, washed in the blood. Trick question, both, Revelation chapter 7, verse 13, and Carrie Underwood, something in the water. Tears stream down my cheeks. The Bible, Lamentations chapter 1, verse 16. The next verse, he hears my every prayer. The answer is Blake Shelton, Savior Shadow. The next verse, you'll find out what it's like to get drunk. The Bible, Lamentations chapter 4, verse 21. <laughs> oh, I hear my lover coming. The Bible, Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 8. The verse, the time will come for us to finally win and we will sing hallelujah. The answer is Taylor Swift in change. That's the end of tonight's show. Our lucky audience win winner is Ricky Bobby Jones Earnhardt Smith Johnson. You enjoy your trip to Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Have a good night. Didn't know I could do a game show host, did you? <laughs> There's this 84-5-year-old couple, having been married for 60 years, but they died in a car crash together. They'd have been in good health for the last 10 years, mainly due to this lady's interest in health, food, and exercise. When they reached the gates of heaven, they were welcomed warmly in. They got to spend time with Jesus and the Father. And then Peter began to take them on a tour of heaven. First, he took them to the beautiful mansion that had been prepared for them. A wonderful place. And even had a jacuzzi spa, spa on the back porch. The old man looks at Peter and says, um, how much is this going to cost me? Peter says, it's free. It's heaven. Out back they went and there was this championship golf course. How wonderful it was. And it, it changed every week to another great golf course in the world. And the old man asked Peter, how much are the green fees? Peter replied, this is heaven. You get to pray for free. Next they went to the clubhouse and there was a giant banquet there with all the different wonderful foods from all over the world. And the man said, how much did it cost to eat here? And Peter said, don't you understand? This is heaven, it's free. Well, where are the low fat and cholesterol free meals? And Peter said, that's the best thing. You can eat as much as you want or whatever you like and you never get fat and you never get sick. This is heaven. With that, the man stormed off, threw his hat down and started stamping on top of his hat. Peter and, and, and his wife did, tried to calm him down and said, what's the matter? He looked at his wife and he said, this is all your fault. If it weren't for your blasted bran muffins and exercise, I could have been here 10 years ago. <laughs> she showed love, didn't she? 
We are in week three of our series, These Three Things, Faith, Hope, and Love. And it comes from the famous love passage, which is read at most weddings. 1 Corinthians 13 helps us understand what love is and what it looks like in daily life. Many have said this is the greatest, strongest, deepest passage that Paul ever wrote. This can be called sometimes the crown jewel of the Bible, for it establishes the fact that love is not primarily a feeling, but an action. And this is the kind of love that you and I are called out to demonstrate that everyone can see and experience. Now, we use the word love in so many different ways in our culture. I mean, I love Jesus. I love my wife. I love my children and their spouses and my grandchildren. I love this church. Amen. I love my mom and my dad and my sisters. I love reading. I love history and science fiction and spy novels. And I love going out to eat. And especially prime rib and cheesecake. (laughs) I love good humor and laughter. I love stories. But now obviously when I say love in all these different ways, they're not all the same meaning. So what is love? I think our passage today will help spell that out. So if you've got your Bibles, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Paul wrote this letter to the church in Corinth. Now Corinth was known through, throughout all the Roman culture as being a very town of sexual immorality. It was also a place where Greek mystic religions were very, very popular. These religions went for spiritual experience in a big way. The people who participated in them were used to being moved by power supernatural forces. They might go into a trance or they might experience some powerful emotion like ecstasy or be transported out of their bodies or carry out some other strange form of action. This sort of thing was considered normal in mystic religions. And not only that, it was the way you knew you were encountering something real. If you didn't experience any of this, then there really wasn't much point in being religious at all. So that bled in to the Corinthian Christians, for they too liked dramatic spiritual experiences. They loved the supernatural gifts like speaking in tongues and miracles and healings, And they became rather self-indulgent about them. And Paul had a suspicion that they weren't using love in any of these gifts. This church was a hot mess. All sorts of disputes and divisions plagued this church. Not only did they argue about which spiritual gift or experience was the greatest, they were selfish and they were taking each other to court and they were impatient with each other. They needed to understand one another and appreciate the differences of the body of Christ. They needed to recognize that the spirit of God, as well as the gifts, came from God. And how they treated each other needed to be written out. When the writers of the New Testament looked their way around and they saw how love was used, they understood that they didn't really get it. You see, the Greeks had 10 different words for love and 12 more that were affiliated with them that described love. So that was 22 different words. So when the writers of the New Testament wanted to write about love, they had to come up with a new idea, a new word. And that word was agape. It is a selfless, sacrificial, and unconditional love. Agape is a love for the other unworthy. A love which proceeds from God who is love. It's a love lavished upon others without a thought of whether they are worthy to receive it or not. It proceeds from the nature of the lover rather than any merit in the beloved. That is the word that is used throughout 1 Corinthians 13. So every time I say the word love, remember it it is agape. So let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 
Paul throughout chapter 12 and so on had talked about all these different gifts and so on. And he ends chapter 12 by saying, so you should earnestly desire the most helpful gifts. But now let me show you a way of life that is best of all. If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but did not love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains, but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. When you would go into a pagan temple in their day and age, and even today in some Eastern religions, you have the same thing. You'd walk into the temple and there'd be a giant gong there. And you would take the mallet and as hard as you could, you would hit that gong in order to make a loud noise in order to wake up their pagan gods. Paul was saying that even if we were so blessed that we could speak with the greatest eloquence in every language known to man and angels, but didn't have love, it would be a useless, ridiculous act like they did banging the gongs in those temples. In verse two, Paul says that love is more important than knowledge. I mean, I love to read. I love education. I love all those things. But even if I knew everything about nuclear science and medicine and philosophy and psychology and theology, but I did not have love, I would be nothing. Unbelievably, Paul says it's even more important than faith. He's not saying faith is not important because we know in Hebrews 11, it says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. What he's saying is love is more important. If I have faith that I can move mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. In verse three, he says that love is even more important than generosity and sacrifice. And starting in verse four, Paul challenges us to practice it. It's not enough to just acknowledge that love is essential, but we are called to exhibit agape love in our lives. Let's look at verse four. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable or angry. It keeps no record of being wronged. It is not not rejoice about evil or injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. Love never loses faith. It is always hopeful and endures throughout every circumstance. Each one of these words, like love is patient. Patient in English is a predicate adjective. It's an adjective which describes the verb. But the problem is that in Greek, patience is not an adjective, it's a verb. Each one of these words that we've gone through that look like adjectives in English are verbs in Greek. And I think Paul meant it to do that on purpose. Paul is not talking about something you primarily feel, but something you do. We may not always be able to control our feelings, but we can control our actions. And even to some extent, our motivations. Agape love is something that you choose to do or not do. And God measures your life entirely by it. We tend to think that love is something that just happens to us. We fall into love like we fall in a ditch. Or we fall out of love like we fall out of a tree. The Bible teaches us that love is something we can control. Love is a choice and it must affect the way you live. It is the fruit of a spirit-filled life. So let's look at each one of these verbs a different way this morning. Love is patient. 
The Greek here word here for patience is a descriptive one. It figuratively means taking a long time to boil. Now, when you put a pot of water on a stove, does it matter what kind of stove it is? Ultimately, what makes the water boil faster? Is it the pot? It's not, it's the what? It's the heat. It's the flame underneath the pot that makes the water boil. The utensil may have some influence, but primary factor is the intensity of the flame. Water boils quickly when the flame is high, and it boils slowly when the flame is low. Patient keeps the burner down. Patient can also mean someone who is able to avenge himself, yet refrains from doing so. It carries with it the idea of perseverance. There's a story about a man who went to the grocery store and he had to pick up some things for his wife in the store. And, you know, he, at first he he didn't even understand where everything was laid out in the store. So he's kind of meandering around. Finally, he gets the hang of it and he starts going down an aisle and another man was going the opposite way. You know how it is like at Kroger when you go and you're going down one aisle and you see this person, you go on the next aisle and you both keep going like this over and over again. Well, the unfortunate part was this man had a three-year-old boy who was not behaving or being cooperative. How many of you have been there? Okay, so you have a little kid. He's, he's Basically, he's pestering his father over and over for a candy bar. Now, the observer couldn't hear the whole conversation. He just heard the dad say, now, Billy, this won't take long. As they passed down the next aisle, the three-year-old boy's head, his pleas had gone up several octaves. And now the dad was quietly saying, Billy, calm down. We will be done in a minute. By the time they passed the dairy case, the kid was screaming uncontrollably. And dad was still keeping his cool in a very low voice. He was saying, Billy, settle down. We're almost out of here. By the time they reached the cash register, the man still showed no evidence of losing control. But the boy was throwing an ever-living tantrum inside the cart, just kicking and screaming. And dad kept saying, Billy, we'll be in the car in just a minute, then everything will be okay. This bystander was absolutely impressed by his words. After paying for his groceries, he hurried to catch up with this amazing example of patience and self-control just in time for him to hear again, Billy, we're done. It's going to be okay. He tapped the patient father on the shoulder and said, sir, I could not help but watch how you handled little Billy. You were amazing. And the dad replied, you don't get it. I'm Billy. (laughs) Love is kind. The meaning here is to show oneself useful. Love volunteers to help others when they're in need. If you truly love someone, you will be kind to him or her. Nothing irks me more than to see a married couple who do everything they can to tear each other down, to call each other's name, to disparage each other. Summer Magnum's mother was an extraordinarily beautiful woman married to an extraordinarily ugly man. When the family friend once asked how this beautiful woman could have married such an ugly guy, she replied, he has never once hurt my feelings. Kindness makes a difference. Love does not envy Instead of wishing I had what you had, love helps me to celebrate that God has given you without being jealous of it for myself. There's a story of two shopkeepers who were bitter rivals. They had stores right across the road from each other and and one would spend their time sitting in the doorway watching to see how many customers the other got. If one got a customer, the other one would smile and triumph over the other. 
One night an angel appeared to one of the shopkeepers and said, God has sent me to teach you a lesson. He will give you anything that you ask for, but I want you to know that whatever you get, your rival across the road will get twice as much. If you like wealth, ask and you will get it, but he will get twice as much. Do you want a long and happy life? It's yours, but he will still get one twice as long. You can be famous, your children can be famous, whatever you desire, but whatever you get, he will get twice as much. The man frowned and thought for a moment and he said, all right, this is my request. Strike me blind in one eye. Love is not boastful. This word literally means braggart and is used nowhere else in the Bible. It can also mean windbag. The fruit of love does not brag about it, what I have or what I've done. Imagine a child going to school, boasting of the great house and his nice car and his luxurious vacations, leading his friends to believe it's all because of him. That would be silly. The only thing that a child ultimately contributes is laughter and fun and perhaps a few chores. It would be ludicrous for a child to boast and take credit for the riches of his parents. The same is true of us. We have no righteousness on our own. Isaiah 64, 6 says, all our righteousness acts are like filthy rags. Love is not proud. The word here means to blow or to puff. Pride has no place in a believer's life because everything we have is by the grace of God. During the battle of the wilderness in a civil war, Union General John Sedwick was inspecting his troops. At one point, he came to a parapet. That, that's one of those like walls where they could stand over and shoot and then duck back down again. Well, the general was strutting his stuff, keeping his head above the the parapet, and and his officer suggested this was unwise, that, that he ought to duck down when he passed by. Nonsense, passed the general. They couldn't hit an elephant at this disc, and he was shot in the head, and he died. Our pride can lead to our deaths, but that's another sermon altogether. Love is not rude. The Greek word means that love does not behave in an ugly, indecent, or obscene manner. Love acts in a nice way. Love does not demand its own way. This is the polar opposite of agape love. True love does not seek to build up, but rather to put others first. At the end of their first date, a young man took his favorite girl home, emboldened by the night, he decides to try for that important first kiss. With an air of confidence, he leans with his hand against the wall and he says to her, darling, how about a good night kiss? Horrified, she replies, are you mad? My parents will see us. Oh, come on. Who's going to see us at this hour? No, please. Can you imagine if we get caught? Oh, come on, there's nobody around. They're all sleeping. No way, she says. It's too risky. Oh, please, please, I like you so much. No and no and no. I like you too, but I just can't. Oh, yes, you can, please. No, I just can't. Please. Out of the blue, the porch light comes on. Little sister comes out in her pajamas. Her hair is all disabled. In a sleepy voice, the sister says, Dad says, go ahead and give him a kiss. (laughs) Or he said, I could do it. Or if need be, he'll come down and do it himself. But for crying out loud, tell him to take his hand off the intercom button. That was a guy that wanted his way. (laughs) Love is not easily angered or irritable. A person who is living under the influence of love is not prone to violent anger or aspiration. A lady once came to the famous preacher, Billy Sunday. 
day. And she said, there's nothing wrong with me losing my temper. She said, I blow up and then it's all over. And Billy Sunday replied, so does a shotgun, but look at the damage it leaves behind. Now, I don't get angry very often. In fact, my, my wife says I have a very, very long fuse. But my kids knew when I was up, when that fuse was up, they better get out of the way. Now, I may have a very long fuse, and I may be Mr. Happy Body, Bobby, but you put me behind the wheel of a car, and, and I become angry Bobby. <laughs> angry Bobby hates it when people pull out in front of him and then don't do the speed limit. I wish I had those James Bond headlights that pop up, little machine guns came out. You know what I mean? Or, or that I had a big bumper where I could, it was legal to come bump draft people out of your way. And I know I, I'm being sinful, so you need to pray for me when I drive. Now, Jesus lost his temper several times in scripture too. He lost his temper at the religious leaders who were so pinned up with their tradition and their law that they did not exhibit mercy. And you see Jesus when he went in the temple and cleared out all the money changers for cheating the people and doing it into the house of the Lord. And so I ask you, next time you get angry, you need to think about the fact, is my angry righteous or not? My guess is that it isn't. Love keeps no records of wrongs. Now, this is an accounting term, meaning that we can't add up and itemize the failures of others. Love does not keep the list of wrongs done to it. Instead of remembering everything that's been done to us, we should wipe out the wrongs by forgiving and refusing to hold people hostage to what they've done in the past. Love does not delight in evil or injustice. We should not enjoy hearing about other people's sins or focusing on the bad stuff that happens in our world. But we all do it when we pop up on that social media and look to see what's going on. Now you all got real quiet with that one. Love rejoices with the truth. The word truth here is the opposite of evil. Instead of locking into the vices of others, love celebrates and applauds the virtues of those around them. Now, I've said before, I don't look at truth as just being a concept. Truth is a person. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Love never gives up. That means we never stop loving. Too many couples give up on love in their marriages. Dr. George Crane, who was a medical doctor and a PhD, once calculated that when a married couple are active together in the same church, they have about a 50 times greater chance of avoiding divorce. And then only one in 500 marriages breaks up when the family prays together. Nine out of 10 of both sexes attach maximum priority in a life in a happy marriage. Love never loses faith. The idea that we don't lose faith in others, even if they messed up or hurt us, we resist the temptation to think the worst. We delight in giving people second and third chances. We do the Jesus thing and we open ourselves wide to be crucified for the sake of love. Love is always hopeful. Now, Jason preached last week on hope. To hope means to expect with desire. No matter how dark things are or how bleak things look, love maintains an attitude of hope that they can get better. It's a refusal to take failure as final. Love always endures. This literally means to remain under. Love hangs in there with others in a long-term relationship. We're going to spend eternity with each other, so we might as well learn to get along now. So what ultimately is love? 
I like the way the Apostle John put it best in 1 John chapter 4. He said, dear friends, let us continue to love one another for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God for God is love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. God is searching for people who will love him. We know that obedience to God is mandatory, but God wants voluntary lovers. He is searching. He is lovesick over you. The angels step back in a holy jealousy and look at us and say, do they have any idea what they're called to or have available to them? Salvation was given to us as a free gift. God draws us to that salvation, draws us to his gift. But intimacy with God is based on a hunger. You can have as much of God as you want and are hungry for, but if you don't want it, it won't be there. There are so many marriages, even among Christians, that are failing because they value feelings over actions. I don't know how many couples I've counseled with who say they don't feel the love they once did for their mate. They fell out of love. But again, there's no real falling in or out of love. We can fall out of the bed or fall in the bathtub, but typically we grow to love someone through action. This love for another grows from what we see them do and what we do in response. Now imagine if Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane just said, I'm going to go with this feeling. I don't want to do this. What if he'd just gone with his feeling? Then we wouldn't have sacrifice for sins, would we? But instead, Jesus said to the father, if you can take this away from me, do, but I'm not going to go with this feeling. I'm going to go with the action and do your will. And he went to the cross for us, not because he felt like it, but because he knew that was what God wanted. I want to end with this story this morning. Many years ago, before a sensitive and politically correct society in which we live today, there was a boy who was continually in trouble. He was forever breaking the rules and always getting into trouble at school, and his father could not understand why. He provided for him in every way with a good home. He spent time going fishing with him and playing ball and catch, and he showered him with his unconditional love. But the father just couldn't figure out why the boy wouldn't mind. He had been raised in church and had gone through all the children's programs and his father was consistently reading the Bible to him and praying and he never provoked him. But his son's behavior was such a mystery to him. One day when his son was playing upstairs in his bedroom with his baseball, which we had been told not to do, and the boy, you know what happened, he accidentally threw the baseball through the bedroom window. Well, the father heard the glass break and he knew what had happened. And he began to come up the stairs and he took his belt off. And the boy at 10 years old certainly knew better. And he knew what was coming. So he voluntarily leant over his bed and kneeled waiting for him. And his father came to the door and he said, son, take this belt. His father took off his shirt knelt down on the bed and said, son, I want you to give me seven lashes with this belt across my back. His son started to cry and said he couldn't do it. And his father insisted until the son finally relented and started hitting his father across the back with the belt. 
but it wasn't hard enough. He said, harder, son, harder. When the boy finally lashed the belt across his father's back seven times with greater force, the father asked him, son, do you know why I had you do this? Son said, no. And the father said, when Jesus went to the cross for us, he took the worst punishment that's ever been inflicted upon any man. He was plummeted and hit. He was beaten. His beard was plucked out. He was punished like no one has ever been punished. Who do you think really did this to Jesus? The boy, still whimpering, hesitated and finally said he thought it was the Jews or the Romans. But the boy's father said, no, it was God the Father who punished Jesus for everything that we have ever done wrong or will ever do wrong in the future. He took the punishment that he didn't deserve to save those who didn't deserve saving. That's how much God the Father loved Jesus. It was God's love most gloriously displayed for us who deserved actually his wrath. The bottom line this morning is this. Love is a choice more than a feeling because feelings are subjective while love is objectively displayed in actions. That love is what a person chooses to do, not what a person chooses to feel. God so loved the world that he gave us his one and only son. Do you understand how great the love of the father is for us? If you were the only one in the world, Jesus would have come for you. And you are God's favorite. Did you know that? If God had a refrigerator, your picture would be on it. God loves you that much. He cares for you that much. Have you experienced the love of God? We all say, yes, we love God. But do our actions show real love? This morning, I don't want you to leave this place without experiencing the love and the forgiveness of God. So as we're about to take time and sing this last song, I pray that if God is speaking to you this morning, that you will hear and that you will listen and you will do and take action and do whatever it is that God's calling you to do. Underneath the cross over there, we have benches if you feel like God's calling you to pray. I'll be down front. Jason will be over in the decision room if you want to talk. But I cannot say enough that you don't want to leave this room without having the love of God in your heart. Let's pray. Father God, we just praise you because you are so holy and so awesome and you love so much in giving us your son. And Father, I pray, Lord, as your spirit moves in this place, that we are reminded of the reckless love that you showed in giving us your son. Oh, Father, I know there is nothing we can do to repay the love. But God, you call us just to accept it into our hearts and be saved and be baptized. And so, Father, I pray that you speak to your people this morning. We ask this in the mighty name of Jesus.
love is a choice more than a feeling because our feelings are subjective while love is objectively displayed in our actions. Remember, this is the last day that you can sign up for the early bird discount for our Uncommon Men's Conference. You can do that online at our website. Uh, 
Next weekend is Labor Day weekend. I know a lot of people go out of town or go camping and do all kinds of fun things the last week in the year. Remember, if you're going to go, come Thursday night to worship. So I pray that you go love God, love people, and watch him change the world. Y'all have a great day.